0: i'm jim brown your bible teacher here at grace and truth ministries i'm teaching on tuesday on wednesday on the spiritual sabbath and people they get upset because you because you don't keep saturday as the sabbath let me tell you something the sabbath now in the new testament the sabbath Is every day. Sabbath means rest. We've been going through things that tell us what the Sabbath equals. The Sabbath equals, it equals rest because that's what it means it doesn't mean anything else what happened to the Old Testament Sabbath what happened to the Old Testament Sabbath they had more than one day a week that was Sabbath they had Passover was a Sabbath Pentecost was a Sabbath Feast of Ingathering was a Sabbath and they had feasts and all the and those like for instance the Passover was a Sabbath that was on Nisan 14 Nisan is our month March, April April but the Passover was also called the Feast of unleavened bread unleavened bread leaven was a type of sin in the Old Testament leaven and yeast were the same thing it took leaven putting that into an aging aging liquor of some kind into an aging grape juice And there was a particular formula for it to make it intoxicating. Jesus never turned the water into intoxicating wine. Several words for wine in the Bible, and that's not what it was. The Feast of Unleavened Bread was a 7 day festival that started the day after the passover it started on nisan 15 and the first day of unleavened bread was a was a sabbath and the and the passover was a sabbath and the last day of unleavened bread was a sabbath so sabbath only means rest that's when they rested besides that i've told you already in exodus the 16th chapter This is something that the so-called Sabbath keepers this day and time do not understand. In the 16th chapter of Exodus, everyone in Israel was commanded to to stay in your place or in your home. On the Sabbath day. Don't go anywhere. Don't do nothing. Don't ride a donkey. Don't move anything. Don't pick anything up. You couldn't do nothing. You couldn't have any pleasure. You couldn't go outside as children and play. You had to lay down and sleep and rest all day. That's it. No pleasure. No work. You couldn't start any fires. If you are a Seventh-day keeper and you drive somewhere in your car, you got four or six cylinders in your car, fire him constantly, and you're starting fires all day long while you drive. You don't understand. Now, we're talking about, over here in Hebrews, we found out some things about Sabbath. We found out that when men provoke God... And they, this really is amazing to me. I've never heard anybody even talk about this. Yet it's in the Bible. It's in a King James Bible. When the Bible speaks of, of this Sabbath in the King J- James Bible, it's talking about here in, in the third chapter of Hebrews. In this third chapter, it's talking about how that that they provoke God in the wilderness. Provoking God. And this is a reference to Numbers. The 13th and 14th chapters as well as some others where Israel provoked God and the Bible says they provoked God provoked Him through unbelief and the word unbelief is the word A-P-I-S-T-I-S you see that word pistis that is the word faith 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 The alpha, first letter of the Greek alphabet, when it's in front of a word in the original text, it negates that word, gives an opposite meaning. It means no faith. Anywhere you find no faith, that is unbelief, that is provoking God. Now, we also found out last week I've got to give you a couple more of these definitions. That stagger in the fourth chapter of Romans was also unbelief. Stagger. Abraham staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief. The Bible says in Romans four, eighteen and 19 that staggering is unbelief. It's unbelief. It's apostis. So stagger and provoking God would be equal because both of them equals unbelief. Things equal to the same thing are equal to each other. So provoke and stagger. Then we also found out That stagger is the word diacrino, D I A K R I N O. So diacrino would equal unbelief, wouldn't it? Uh, If equals are substituted for equals, you can, if diacrino equals unbelief, and stagger equals unbelief, and provoke equals unbelief, no faith then everything that faith is would be staggering diacrino. Diacrino means to discriminate. Now to discriminate means you do this. This word dia is the prefix on diacrino. Crino is the word judge. It means you become the channel are the method of judging. We don't have any business judging people unrighteously. Are we supposed to judge? Yes. John seven twenty four says, look not at the outward appearance. Outward appearance Don't look at the outward appearance. And when you it says judge, oh Oh, judge! Don't look at the outward appearance before you judge. Judge righteous judgment. Judge righteous. Well, oh, that would be God's judgment. Everybody wants to go to Matthew seven and one. Judge not. But the, these look like they're contradictory, but they're not. John seven twenty four. And Matthew seven and one judge not that you be not judged, for with what judgment you judge, you shall be judged. if you judge unrighteously, I want to say this again: when you start a, a sentence with a verb, judge is a verb, it shows action. When you start a sentence with a verb, there's an understood subject. I learned this somewhere about the ninth grade. One of my English teachers said, you start a subject, you start a sentence with a a verb, there's an understood subject. You judge not. Don't you judge, but pronounce the judgment of God. Judge, crino, it's a part of the word, if you notice... It's a part of the word diacrino. Don't you judge, because when you judge, you diacrino. You insert your opinion and say, this is what I think it is. Well, we're not supposed to, we're supposed to pronounce God's judgment. People say, you're judging when you say Kenneth Copeland lies. No, no, he lies. That's God's judgment. There's no such thing as prosper and be in health, being money and physical health. That's not what it means. Prosper means well way. There's two ways a narrow way and a broad way. Health is the word again? same word as sound doctrine. Sound, it's the same word as sound. It means uncorrupt words. That's not judging, that's pronouncing God's judgment. Now diacrino is also unbelief because it's the word stagger. So everywhere you find Diacrino, that'll be the same thing as staggering, provoking Diacrino. It'll be and you've got that in many areas. Let me show you something. Look over here at the word well, it's also the word in Mark eleven twenty three. If you'll say to this mountain, be thou removed, be thou cast into the sea, cast... Boy, this tells a story here. Cast into sea. And you're not doubting your heart. I've gone through this, but if you... If you don't know what a mountain is, if you don't know what cast into the sea means, you don't know what doubt means, you don't have any idea what to do or what to say. Because it doesn't mean what the Pentecostals and Charismatics say. A mountain was a capital city of an empire. Capital city. Now, the Bible says that Babylon tells us it describes Babylon. Babylon Babylon was a proud mountain. And Babylon was God says, You are I'm gonna make you a burnt mountain. A burnt mountain and we see Babylon burning in Revelation 8 and Revelation 18 we see a burnt mountain we see Babylon being destroyed as a mountain and the Bible says Babylon Babylon mothered all idolatry all idolatry. And what is it talking about? There in Mark 11:23. If you don't go to the previous chapter, go to the beginning of that chapter, you don't have any idea. It's talking about Peter was correcting Jesus for killing a fruit tree it was against the law to kill fruit trees in Israel Deuteronomy the 20th chapter the last two verses says so and Jesus saw a tree that had leaves on it and he was in Bethage B-E-T-H P-H-A-G-E we would pronounce that, pronounce that Bethpage, in our day and time. We got a Bethpage, Tennessee, up here. Bethpage, Beth means house of, of, and page means figs. There were many fig trees there in Bethpage. There were hundreds of them, probably. Jesus looks at one of them and he see a tree that has leaves. Well, if you don't know that the leaves came on the tree after the pre season figs, pre season figs, if you don't know that, then you don't know that there's supposed to be some figs on the tree. And then the Bible says the time of figs was not yet it sounds like the bible's contradicting itself if you already know that the leaves came on before the after the pre-season figs time of figs was not a time for the tree to bear figs time of figs was a term that meant the fig harvest they hadn't been harvested there were leaves on the tree there should have been leaves there there should have been figs there and Jesus cursed the tree. Well, all Peter could think of was deuteronomy twenty It's against the law to kill fruit trees, except he forgot Leviticus nineteen if a tree if a tree was five years old or older, not bearing fruit. You were supposed to lay the axe to the root of the tree and cut it down. That's what Jesus said. Well, Peter didn't have that in mind, so Jesus corrects. Peter corrects Jesus. He says, day E-de, E-de is a cry of exclamation. Behold, the tree you cursed is dead. What are you doing, Jesus? And Jesus said, Have faith in God. I'm God. I know how old the fig tree was. Have faith in me. If you'll say to this mountain, you have this mountain of self. Babylon was founded on let us make us a name. Let us make us a name. Peter had made himself a name. Name is the word shem. It means authority. He had made up his own doctrine and said, Jesus, you killed a fruit tree. And Jesus said, If you'll say to this mountain, this Babylonian attitude you have, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea. Cast into the sea was always where Babylon was cast down into the sea. It's amazing in the Old Testament, Jeremiah 50 and 51. Read those chapters. That was the destruction of Babylon by Cyrus the king of Persia in the ancient world that's where he destroyed it and there's several other accounts of it and you got that in uh, also in Daniel Daniel 6 Daniel 5 where Belshazzar was brought down you got that in Isaiah Isaiah 13 and 14 and Isaiah Forty four and forty five. This is the destruction of Babylon, and and it's always and the Lord has Jeremiah tell the prophet, take this book of the law, go into Babylon, and when you go to Babylon, put a. Uh, tie a rock around this book of the law cast it in the Babylon into the Euphrates River and say so shall Babylon sink and you find Babylon sinking in Revelation into the sea and Revelation the 18th chapter you also find the swine running down into the sea in the mark in the Luke the 8th chapter, you find them running down into the sea. That was a Babylonian thing that was going on there. Be catch the sea and not doubt in your heart. doubt is or diacrino so doubting has the same meaning as stagger, doesn't it to discriminate. So doubt in Mark, Mark 11, 23. Doubt is the word diakrino, D-I-A-K-R-I-N-O. So doubt, discriminate, diakrino, stagger, provoke, are all the same thing. And how did Israel provoke God? Oh, man, we'll have to. I'm on this subject and I have a hard time getting off of it. Let me give you a couple more words on Crino. So, this is unbelief. When you decide whether something's right or wrong, you say, Well, yesterday, God, you were right yesterday on what you said, but today I think I'm better at judging the situation than you are. I think it's okay to do this. That's when you doubt and you start Diocrino, and you're in unbelief. Now, look over here in First Corinthians 4. First Corinthians 4, and here's the word diacrino. Except God kind of reverses it on us. It's okay for God to diakrino become the method of judging and that's what he says in 1 Corinthians 4 and 7 and he says here in verse 7 who maketh thee to differ from another the word differ is diacrino and the key to that is who who makes you to differ Diocrino from another the who is god it's okay it's okay for god to decreno di- but not for you and i to become the channel of judging and that's when he says who makes you to differ from another and what do you have that you didn't receive in the ideas you got it from god and that's how he makes you differ how pretty are you? How much prettier are you than other women? How much handsome are you than other men? How much talent do you have more than others? And who made you to differ? Who discriminated between you and someone else and gave you more talent than they had? If God gave you the talent, you have nowhere to boast or glory in it. If you're a great singer or a great guitar player, it has nothing to do with you. You cannot play the guitar and glorify God if you're up there basking in the glory of it. You can't be doing that. That's not pleasing to God. If you you have an ability to play the keyboard or to play a guitar or to throw a ball or to hit a ball so far... That's not you or if you have a lack of it. That's all of God. Whatever you have, whatever color you are, that's of God. Whatever, however overweight you are, that's of God. However underweight you are, that's of God. Your physique is of God. Your... Just the ability to force yourself to do the things you need to do to lose weight, that's of God. You can't take glory for nothing. That's what he says in the rest of this verse. He discriminated with you and made you exactly who you are. You're supposed to be thankful for it. And then he says what dost thou have that thou didst not receive from God now if you received it from God why are you taking the glory as though it didn't come from God God did the discriminating you can never discriminate I got a couple more of these alright he makes you to differ I've got many of these on here. Look at John, two, James 2 and 4. James 2. Every time you find this word diokrino, it means to discriminate or become the channel of judging. God could be the channel of judging, but you and I can't. Now look at James. James. 2 here's the word again James 2 and let's start reading here verse 1 my brethren have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ the Lord of glory with respect of persons now it's going to show you that respect of persons is diacrino All these words are equal to each other. Respect of persons. So if respect of persons. Respect of persons is not the word diacrino, but it's going to point to diacrino. Respect of persons. Let me put it up here. Respect of persons. I I knew I wasn't going to be able to leave this until I did something throw on it. Respect of persons. When you have faith in the Lord, respect of persons is a pistus, which is which is what all these are. Provoking God is apistos. Stagger is apistos. And respect of persons. He says don't have faith respecting persons. Because no faith equals respect of persons. Let me give you the word respect of persons. Pros apo L e p, to e o. That is the word "respective persons." It's it's a construction of pros, meaning toward. It's our word "pro" toward, or far, or for. And ops, our word "optical" comes from that o p t i c a l. And ops means the visage. We get the word vision from that. The visage is what you see. And lambano. Lambano means to take hold of. pros, ops, and lambano means to move toward what you see and take hold of it, take hold of the surface, in fact the word, the word prosoplateo is a form of prosopon, p-r-o-s-o-p-o-n, which is the word face or surface, it's the, out, it's the outward appearance look not at the outward appearance but judge righteous judgment don't look at how pretty she is or how handsome he is or how talented he is or how, how gorgeous she is or what you can get out of this man and how you can get some of his action if you'll be real nice and real kind to him and play up to him the wicked hath many friends because the and the rich hath many friends because people want a part of their action. That's looking at the outward appearance. But let's read on here. I said we was gonna show you how respect of persons equals it equals Dia The Bible says, look not at the outward appearance, but judge righteous judgment. It takes us all the way back to the story in First Samuel, the 16th chapter, where God's rejected Saul and said, I'm through with him. Samuel, tell him his time is over as the king of Israel appointed me a young man down here in southern Judah in the house of Jesse that is going to be a king among the sons of Jesse and Samuel goes down there and the first guy he marches out when he tells Jesse one of your sons is going to be king of Israel and Jesse says I know who that is that has to be my eldest son Eliab Eliab is taller than anybody else well Saul was the tallest man of Israel and he didn't work out he didn't need another tall man and he needed a young kid with a sling and he had sevens seven of his sons passed before him and Saul kept saying Samuel kept saying it's none of these don't you have any more sons and he said there remains yet the youngest and behold he keepeth the sheep that's amazing he keeps the sheep he's the youngest keeps sheep this might be a good place to bring this out David was keeping sheep, but he wasn't a scrawny little kid. He was very adept, very proficient with the sling and the rod. He goes, this is in First Samuel 16. And when the Bible says, Behold, he keeps the sheep, and and Saul said, I'll get it right in a minute. Samuel says, I'm not going to leave until you bring him out here. And he tells one of his sons, Go bring David here. Just because David was keeping the sheep, it didn't mean that David was incapable of fighting in Saul's army it means he was too young to be in the army he couldn't have been 20 years old because we have been studying over in Numbers the 14th chapter Numbers 14 when they murmured against God and provoked God that's when they said we can't go into this land of Anak and destroy them because those are giants there and we're not strong enough we're grasshoppers in their sight let me get it back over here we can't go into the land of Anak these are giants and they provoke God through unbelief they didn't believe that God would supply the way to destroy the men of Anak who were over 9 feet tall when he had already destroyed the army of Pharaoh crossing the Red Sea the largest army in the world so that was Diocrino when they were they didn't trust God to be able to conquer their enemies and that's the same way it is with people in America This, this this Sinai Desert, like a tongue down into this, into this ocean here. God conquered for them here, and they get up here to Kadesh Barnea, and they say, you can't conquer here, those are too big. And the Bible calls that provoking God through unbelief, through no faith. So everything they staggered, they discriminated. They respected the size of those men. When David, when Saul gets, Saul, I'll get in a minute. When Solomon gets down there into southern Judah and he brings Eliab out, even Solomon said, surely this has to be the Lord's anointed. He is so big. He's a great soldier. And Jesse said, the father said, surely this must be what you're looking for and God speaks to Solomon and speaks to Samuel and says man looks at the outward appearance he is respecting persons but the Lord looks at the heart God doesn't look at the surface of a man and then he anoints David to be king here's an amazing thing about this David was not Evidently, the only reason he wasn't in Saul's army in the 16th chapter, he wasn't old enough. But he was capable because the 17th chapter shows him capable. In fact, you can look at the 17th chapter. Well, no, let me finish this right here, and then I'll get back to David. In the second chapter of James, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ. Looking at the outward appearance, that's not what faith is. Faith is death to self and believes God in spite of all of the size of the opposition. It doesn't matter. And then he goes on to say, if there come a man to your assembly with a gold ring and goodly apparel, He's a a real estate broker or a banker. And there come in a poor man in vile raiment. And you have respect, prosopolateo, you have respect to him that weareth the gay clothing, it didn't mean homosexual clothing, it means fancy clothes three-piece suit diamond rings and a rolex watch on his wrist and you respect him because of his position in the community i told a preacher this one time here in town said, you tell a man like that to sit on the deacon seat or sit here on the finance committee you're a respecter of persons you're looking at the outward appearance you're partial in yourself and he says and said to him sit thou here in the good place Sit on the finance committee and say to the poor, "Stand thou there under my footstool. You can't even have my footstool. You're too poor, too low down, and too nothing." Are you not then partial? Are you not diacrino? Partial. So, respect of persons. Respect of persons equals partial doesn't it partial is the word diacrino so respecting persons is what they did when they said they staggered at the promise of God you go in there and conquer them I'll be with you and I'll see to it that you can beat them so Respect of persons is partial diacrino. So you can put that in line here. Respective persons equals diacrino. So respective persons discriminates. It's diacrino, it's the same word as doubt. It's becoming the channel of judging. That's exactly what Saul Samuel. And Jesse did when they looked at Eliab. God said, this is not him. If we can learn not to pass judgment according to our eyes, God is blind to the eyes of man. He can't see righteousness. So partial equals dequino. It equals judging unrighteously. Are you not partial in yourself and judges of evil thoughts? He said, that's evil thoughts when you become the Diocrino, the judge of things and discriminate. You have to judge God's righteous judgment. Then he says, Hark it, my beloved brethren, hath not God chosen the poor of this world rich in faith? You're rich in debt to self. If you're rich in debt to self, you don't look at the outward appearance and judge people by what they look like. It's sad that young men won't tell a young girl the truth about predestination and Christmas because they think, well, I might get a date with her. That's the wrong way to approach anybody. Tell them the truth, and if she's going to leave you, let her leave today. Hearken, my beloved brethren. Hath not God chosen the poor of this world, rich in faith, and heirs of the kingdom, which hath promised to him that love him? You could go to James, the first, second, third chapter, the rich oppress the poor, and hath promised to them that love him, but ye have despised the poor. Do not rich men oppress you and draw you before judgment seats. Do not they blaspheme that worthy name by which you are called. He's equating prosoplateo, which is diacrino, which is being partial. He's equating that with blasphemy. Blaptofime blaptofeme. P H E M E. P H E M E comes from FEMI. Or it's actually the word FEMI and it comes from the word FEMA. Blapto Feme, P H E M I. And it comes from P H E M E, which is the word Fame. Blapto means to hinder the fame of God or hinder what God has said, and if you hinder God for the rest of your life, and you don't believe the word of God, then you are blaspheming the word of God, and that's a sin that God does not forgive. Somewhere in your life you have to start believing God and not yourself. What are you saying? If you deal crino and you stay partial the rest of your life, you're not a believer. Then he says, Do not they blaspheme the worthy name by which you are called? If you fulfill the royal law, we're still in the same subject of being partial. He hasn't left the subject. If you fulfill the royal law according to scriptures, thou shalt love thy neighbors thyself. Love means to walk in the commandments of God. That's agape. If you have respect to persons, if you have prosopopeo, you commit sin. That is sin. That's the same thing as apistis. Respect to persons is equals apistis. Means no faith. I, that takes me over to Romans fourteen. I won't go there right now. Romans 14 whatsoever is not of faith is sin not of faith is a phrase that would equal A-P-I-S-T-I-S wouldn't it? apistis no faith it comes from the alpha privative And pistis, which is the word faith, it means no faith, not of faith. So, whatever Romans 14 is talking about, no faith, not of faith, not of faith equals A P I S T I S equals sin so everywhere you've got no faith, no believing God discriminating you've got doubting that's sin not of faith equals apistos equals sin equals sin so not of faith equals sin let's finish up this right here and to show you what Respect of persons. People say God wouldn't favor somebody. He certainly would. He's saying we can't favor people. They use this word, respect of persons, to try to refute predestination. We're predestined. God can do what He wants. We can't be partial. God can be partial. Predestination. You can't negate that with respect to persons. Predestination is the word pro horizo, and God has predetermined His family to the light horizo or horizon or the boundary of light, that we would be conformed to the image, or the likeness of Jesus. Image, icon, likeness. And that is God favoring who He wills. The word grace, is the word charis. And it means unmerited. Favor. Favor. You can't say God doesn't respect persons and he wouldn't have grace on somebody just because he wanted to. That's the only reason he does it. Because he wants to. Unmerited favor. And a a synonym for grace would be elect. Eclectos. E-K-L-E-K-T-O-S. It means favor. You can't say God wouldn't favor one person over another just because he commands us not to do that. He tells us not to look at the outward appearance or the surface. But I want to show you what he equates. What he equates with Prosopolipto. Let's keep reading. If you respect persons you commit sin and are convinced of the law as transgressors for whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point. Respecting persons diacrino. Partiality. He says if you respect persons you yet offend in one point you're guilty of all breaking all the law. And then he says, For he that said Do not commit adultery also said, Do not kill. Now if thou commit no adultery, yet if you kill, you're a transgressor of the law, and if you respect persons what you're doing, you're murdering people in your heart. This is all in the in the structure of respecting persons or partiality this whole chapter is about that so speak ye so do as they that shall be judged by the law of liberty for he shall have judgment without mercy that has showed no mercy and mercy rejoiceth against judgment now I said I was going to take you back to David I've been wanting to bring this out Let me kind of set this up. All right. So all these things are equal to the same thing, they're equal to each other. Go back over here to Numbers. The numbers the 14th chapter numbers 14 and we're talking about this we're talking about talking about provoking God and Israel provoked God when they didn't believe God could deliver them when he told them to go up to the land of Anak And he specifically talks about that as being unbelief in that third chapter of Hebrews. Now look here in the 14th chapter. And I'm going to kind of explain something to you. Now they go over into, all of this is referring back to Israel in the wilderness. The wilderness is a picture That's a shadow. Wilderness equals a shadow. It is a shadow. It's a shadow. A skia. A shade. And it equals to the church. Church is the word Ekklesia, E-K-K-L-E-S-I-A. It comes from Ek and Kaleo. The church is the wife or bride of Christ. That's the church. Ekklesia is the word church. And the Bible speaks in Acts, the seventh chapter, of Christ being with the church in the wilderness so the church is actually it's a picture or it is the very image of Israel in this wilderness right here it's a picture of Israel coming down here getting the commandments of God and the law was written on tables of stone that's written on fleshy tables of our hearts and we're the temple of God and you've got the temple and everything in the temple is equal and they built the the tabernacle and the temple later on Solomon's temple would be, be built under the same measurements as this tabernacle in the wilderness and he received the instructions for how to build it and the dimensions of it here at Mount Sinai and then Israel comes up here to Kadesh Barnea and all of this is equal this is equal to the church in our day and time it's equal to the church in the wilderness they were called out of Egypt, ek means out we got a word exit on the door from ek and kaleo meaning to call they were called out of Egypt to go into the wilderness and this wilderness is a picture of our life in the church as we go through one trial after another and no faith God has to put faith he didn't kill everybody in the wilderness he killed everybody from 20 years old and upward that murmured against God in the wilderness. And when they murmured and they provoked God, provoked God, they provoked God, this was Diocrino. It was judging. It was being partial. It was staggering through unbelief saying, God, you can't deliver us. It was being partial by looking at the outward appearance. That's exactly what they did, didn't they? Didn't they go in there and say, these guys are over nine feet tall. We can't beat them. They're too big. And you've said that in your life. I'm too... I'm too much of a nobody to conquer the world. God can conquer the world when you can't. Conquering the world doesn't mean to go out there and become rich. You conquer the world in your mind. You know how you conquer the world? The Bible says, in the world you shall have tribulation. This is the 16th chapter of John but I have overcome this is something I hope people can get a hold of I have overcome the world this is in John 16 the last couple of verses John 16 and the Bible says in 1 John First John, the fifth chapter, this is the victory that overcomes the world, even even our faith. With the victory that overcomes the world is faith. Victory is the word n i k e. It looks like Nike, and I'm quite sure that's where they got it. Nike means victory, and overcome is the word n i k a o, which is the verb form of victory. It's the verb, and faith is death to self. We're not supposed to accomplish great things in the world. We're supposed to die to the flesh. If somebody else become famous, that's their problem. And that is problem. Because if they become famous, they're not a believer. Bless you to you, and men shall reproach you. You're not blessed if you're not reproached. Reproach O N E I D I Z O. Anizo means infamous. Well, if you don't like it because you're not famous, if God can make you famous and young and handsome like one of these guys, you get to go to hell one day. being infamous. Do I believe these singers and all this are going to heaven? No. Do I believe famous country singers are going to heaven? No. What if they call themselves Christians? You ain't like some of these women that call themselves Christians. They strip down to nothing and they look practically naked on the stage. No, I don't believe that's Christian. I just got to thinking the other day. Johnny Cash is dead. Glenn Campbell is dead. Merle Haggard is dead. Porter Wagner is dead. Charlie Daniels is dead. I just got to thinking of how many people, famous country singers, can I think of that are dead? You live, you get famous, you make tons of money, and then you die. And somebody else gets your money, and it's not yours anymore. Isn't there something more important to think of than that? Just think, all these famous singers, after they're dead for 20 years, nobody knows who you are. In order to get one of your DVDs, I got to go down to Goodwill and thumb through those 50-cent DVDs and find you down there. They don't know who you are. We got a young guy, 22 years old. I said, you know who Glenn Campbell is? He said, never heard of him. I said, he was one of the most famous people in America in 1970. Oh, but that was 50 years ago, wasn't it? I said, do you know who? And I started naming people. I asked a young black guy who used to come here. I said, well, you know the fifth dimension, this and that. He said, who's the fifth dimension? I said, you're black and you don't know the fifth dimension? One of the most famous groups in the world back in 1968, 70, 72. It's a black group. He said, And he played drums in a band at one point. He said, I never heard of him. Shows you how your fame descends into your grave with you. And that's not important. The important thing is being poor in spirit, emptied out and overcoming the world with your faith. And the victory that overcomes the world is our faith. You can't be famous and be a believer if you are God's got to beat you up to make you a believer he's got to take everything away from you in order for you to believe God and I say that to all the famous people in Nashville and Hendersonville and Franklin they think they go just because they say I love God and I I got saved you didn't get saved there's no such thing you got to repent you have to have a daily cross, death to self, self denial. He that beareth not his cross and follows after me cannot be my disciple and cannot go to heaven. You have a daily cross, you had to be condemned to a cross in the first century. If you're a famous singer, a famous female singer, I know several of them that think they're godly and going to heaven and they're not, they strip down to nothing. And they get on stage and got low-cut dresses and their boobs are hanging out. And you call that Christianity? It's disgusting. You're disgusting. God deliver us from this attitude in America. Now, I was going to show you something. Here in Numbers 14, these people would not go up there and conquer these giants let me tell you whatever the giant is in your life you know how you're going to conquer them by being obedient to God. That's what God said to Israel in Deuteronomy 28. You can conquer your enemies. You'll go against them one way and they'll flee seven ways. Only if you keep my commandments and my statutes. Live righteously and godly and you will win in the world. You may not win money wise. But you'll win in the world. You will overcome all this desire for self through death to self, that's faith. Now, how much time to have, Mike? 33. All right. I was going to show you this before. Here in Numbers 14, after they murmured against God, and God, and they said, we can't go in there and conquer all of these great problems. It makes me think of all the problems... That you may have in your life. Health wise. Looks wise. You don't seem to have a lot on the ball. And you can't seem to get a hold of things in the world. Well you're exactly where you're supposed to be. That's how you differ from another. And it's the gift of God in your life. Whatever and whoever you are. And whatever color you are. That's what God gave you. As a gift. And he says here. He's talking to these unbelievers in 14th chapter. Your carcasses shall fall in the wilderness. Verse 29. And all that were numbered of you according to your whole number from 20 years old and upward which have murmured against me. The murmur is talking about provoking God saying there is no way we could go in and conquer these enemies in Anak! It's the same thing as the Gaza Strip, the same thing as the land of the Philistines. There's something that may have puzzled you, and it puzzles a lot of people. It's about David. Why wasn't he fighting with Saul, and why was he just tending the sheep? in 1st Samuel 1st Samuel 16 that's where he was appointed king appointed king by Samuel well people always picture David as a little skinny shepherd boy little skinny shepherd boy shepherd boy little skinny shepherd boy and that he's going to go out against Goliath in the 17th chapter in 1st Samuel 17 as a skinny shepherd boy he wasn't a skinny shepherd boy These people that try to make him out to be that, that's ridiculous. Let me show you something here. Twenty years old was obviously the age you had to be before you could be in Israel's army. It's nearly the same thing today they say. A young man's prowess and ability is at a height at 18 and 19. That's why they drafted more boys at 18 and 19 than, than any other age. They wouldn't draft you in the Vietnam War. They wouldn't draft you if you're 26 years old or older. I was older than 26 during Vietnam. I was a traveling preacher during the Vietnam War. Now... He says here that you had to be 20 years old. Look over here. And this may have puzzled you. It's easier to be puzzled. Why wasn't David in Saul's army and he's only a shepherd boy in the 16th chapter of Samuel? Go to the 17th chapter. The 16th chapter is where he's a shepherd boy taking care of the sheep. He's probably about 18 or 19 years old he was excellent with the sling and with this rod that he had the rod was a a, it was like a tree it was a tree limb and they would cut off the the cut off the root of it and put hobnails in it and when they would beat somebody with that David said I killed I killed a lion and a bear he said I killed them with this rod it was probably something like a cougar because in Israel, I don't believe they had those long-maned lions. So when you get over to the 17th chapter, you're talking about David going out. to He, he goes to take his brothers some food. And he gets out there and he sees Goliath yelling. And, and his older brother Eliab, the one that they thought was going to be King he reprimands David for coming out there and looking at what's going on. Well, there in the verse, 28th verse of the 17th chapter, Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spake unto the men. Eliab, anger was kindled against David. Eliab was the oldest brother of David. And he was a big super fighter in Saul's army. And the, the giant is out there, screaming and yelling send me out your best man I'll kill him and he said why camest thou down hither this is Eliab's word with whom hast thou left those few sheep in the wilderness I know thy pride and thy naughtiness your badness naughtiness means wickedness or badness roa is the word roa the wickedness of thine heart for you are Come down that thou mightest see the battle. You just want to see the fight, David. And David said, What have I now done? Is there not a cause? The word cause is the word dabar. D-A-B-A-R. That's the word cause it means a commandment or an arrangement it means an orderly arrangement it means an orderly arrangement Dave, what he's saying, did not God give us command if the king of Israel is righteous that we could go against our enemy one way and they'll flee seven ways? And who is the king of Israel at this point? It's not Saul. It's David. He was the one that God has rejected in the 15th chapter, rejected Saul and appointed David in the 16th chapter, the shepherd boy, and David says, he doesn't say it, but he implies it. If I am the king and I'm righteous, I can beat that man. Besides that, the sling was a deadly weapon, and those shepherd boys would spend days out there with the sheep slinging that sling and they were experts with the sling. The sling in Alexander the Great's army, they had companies of men with slings that were deadly with them. Let me give you an example here. Look here in 2 Kings 3 and 25. 2 Kings 3. These guys, David knew he could hit that giant right between the eyes, and he knew the giant would never get close to him. He could put an indention in me, his head, right between his eyes, like you'd have to dig it out with a knife. And he says here in 2 Kings 3.25, Twenty-five, and they beat down the cities. This is where Israel is attacking Moab and some other nations. They beat down the cities on every good piece of land, cast every man his stone, and filled it. And they stepped all the, stopped all the wells of water, and felled all the good trees. Only in Kerhar Seth left they stones there. Howbeit the slingers went about it and smote it. The slingers, the guys with slings. Let me read another, another one to you. Second Chronicles, Second Chronicles, twenty-six and fourteen. Second Chronicles, twenty-six and fourteen. And Uzziah prepared for them throughout all the host, talking about his enemies, shields and spears, and helmets and habergeons, and the bows and the slings to cast stones. Slings were not just a toy, they were a dangerous weapon. And David was an expert at it. I got one more verse for you. Job 41. Now, now let me go to Judges 20 Judges 20 let me go to Judges 20 Joshua Judges the 20th chapter it's talking about Israel and the men with slings you need to know this in order to be able to study David properly Judges 20 and verse 16 20 and 16 Among all this people there were 700 chosen men left-handed every one could sling stones at a hair's breadth and not miss they were experts with the sling so David being a shepherd boy They were slinging those stones all day long, and they could hit an air's breath at 50 yards. He's out there going towards Goliath. He knows he couldn't hit him right between the eyes and knock him out. He knew that. He'd had too much experience. The other guys, the reason they're afraid of Goliath, they think they're going to have to go out there with swords and whip him. David said, I don't need a sword. Let's go back over here to 1 Samuel, the 17th chapter. David said, Is there not a cause? Is there not a commandment? That's amazing because that word cause is used over in Genesis 11 and 1. Genesis 11 and verse 1. 11 and 1. And the whole earth was of one, one language and one speech the word speech is Dabar commandment they were under one commandment under God's commandment and then again he says over here in 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 Jeremiah 428 Jeremiah 428 how much time Mike 20. Jeremiah 4 and 28 God says and this will show you how important this word Dabar is 28 for this shall the earth mourn and the heavens above be black I have spoken it I have purposed it the word purposed is dabar I have commanded it to happen I have purposed it and will not repent neither will I turn back from what I'm going to do so that's the word dabar and the amazing thing when God says I'm going to send pestilence the word pestilence is a form of dabar it's the word debar d-e-b-e-r and debar pestilence means an evil order so since Dabar is an orderly arrangement this would be an evil orderly arrangement it's something that God does now let's go back to 1 Samuel the the 17th chapter verse 30 and he turned from him toward another and spake after the same manner, and the people answered him again after the former manner. And when the words were heard which David spake, they rehearsed him before Saul, and he sent for him. And David said to Saul, Let not man's heart fail because of this giant. Thy servant, me, will go, and I will fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, David, You're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him. You're just a young man. And he, a man of war from his youth. And David said unto Saul, Thy servant kept his father's sheep. There came a lion and a bear and took a lamb out of the flock. And I took care of him. So he's not the skinny little boy you think of in the... 16th chapter behold he keepeth the sheep that's just the shepherd boy I went out after this bear and this leopard or this bear and this lion and I smote him and delivered it out of his mouth it would take a strong young man 18, 19 years old to do this he was under 20 that's why he wasn't in Saul's army And when he arose against me, I caught him by his beard, talking about the lion, and I hit him in the head with this rod. And I killed him. Thy servant slew both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them. David was very confident in his ability with the sling seeing he hath defied the armies of the living God. David said moreover the Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear he will deliver me out of the hand of the Philistine. David was sure of himself and Saul said to David go and the Lord be with thee and Saul armed David with his armor and he put on the helmet of brass upon his head and And he armed him with a coat of mail. He's weighed down with this heavy stuff. And David said, this is not going to work. I haven't proven these things. David girded his sword upon his armor, and he essayed to go. But he had not proved it. And David said to Saul, I cannot go with this armor. For I have not proved them. And David put them off of him. I, I've got a sling and I've got a rod and I can take care of him with this. And he took his staff in his hand and shows him five smooth stones out of a brook. Five is the number of grace all through the Bible. And put them in the shepherd's bag, which he had, even his script. That was his food bag and his sling was in his hand and he drew near the Philistine and Goliath or the Philistine came on and drew near unto David and the man that bare the shield went out before him when the Philistine looked about and saw David he disdained him just said you are this is ridiculous for he was but a youth and ruddy and a fair countenance he was a very handsome young boy and the Philistine said unto David, Am I a dog that you come to me with staves, with that little club you got in your hand? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give thy flesh unto the fowls of the air and to the beasts of the field. Then said David to Goliath the Philistine, Thou comest to me with a sword and with a spear and with a shield, but I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. David is not a skinny little shepherd boy. He's very wiry. He'd been out in the field several years keeping the flock he had defied the lions and bears this day will the Lord deliver thee into mine hand and I will smite thee and take thine head off of you mister and I will give the carcasses of the host of the Philistines this day unto the fowls of the air Boy, that's pretty bold isn't it whoo and to the wild beast of the earth that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel you're going to die today mister here's this little shepherd boy defying this nine foot six giant and all this assembly shall know that the Lord saveth not with sword or spear for the battle is the Lord's reminds us of when Joseph had, went against the Moabites and the Ammonites and he said the battle belongs to the Lord and he will give you into our hands and it came to pass when the Philistine arose and came and drew nigh to meet David that David hasted and ran towards Goliath he wasn't sneaking around kind of looking for a place to hide from Goliath's sword and it came to pass when the Philistine arose and came and drew nigh to meet David David hasted and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine and David put his hand in his bag and took thence a stone and slung it and smote the Philistine in his forehead that the stone sunk into his forehead they're going to have to dig that out with a knife And he fell upon his face to the earth. And David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone. And smote the Philistine and slew him. But there was no sword in the hand of David. Therefore David ran and stood upon the Philistine. And took his sword and drew it out of the sheath. And slew him and cut off his head therewith. And when the Philistine saw that the champion was dead. They fled for their lives. Now, David couldn't have done this if he'd been a skinny little shepherd boy. He was probably very muscular, very wiry. He was just too young to be in Saul's army. And proof of that is the next chapter, chapter 18, chapter 18 now this is kind of funny in chapter 18 David is taken into the court of Saul chapter 18 he's taken into the court of Saul and introduced to Saul by Abner which is Saul's is Saul's commander-in-chief of his armies. He's captain of the host. And Saul is hearing, he's hearing, I'm just showing you to prove to you he was more than just a little shepherd boy. Only reason he wasn't in Saul's army is because he wasn't old enough yet. But boy, he was tough as nails. And then you get to 18 Abner to introduce him, and Saul says a stupid thing: who is this young man? Saul knew who he was because in the sixteenth chapter, where an evil spirit had entered into Saul, and he and they called for David to play his harp before Saul to soothe his spirit. So it was David that had played for Saul in the 16th chapter. And he's saying, who is this young man? And they say he's the son of Jesse. He's one of your... He's Eliab's younger baby brother, one of your big super soldiers. So to show that David was more. The fact that he killed Goliath wasn't enough. You get further into the 18th chapter, and Saul hears the women singing, Saul has killed his thousands, and David his ten thousands. And boy, Saul just gets in a rage immediately after he meets David after he kills Goliath in that 17th chapter. And the first thing that Saul does to show you that Saul believed in David's ability and to show you that David had an ability to kill men, In that 18th chapter, Saul Saul says, I've got this daughter Merab. And if you'll go out he appointed David to be the head of his bodyguard and when he did that he is expecting David to do some great exploits as a killer so he said I want you to go out and bring me a hundred Philistines foreskins he didn't mean I want you to go out and circumcise a hundred of them I want you to emasculate them now what's the purpose of that well that way if he cut off their genitals they would never be able to reproduce children to come up against Saul reproduce They would never be able to reproduce children. And David goes out and kills 200 Philistines and brings the foreskins into Saul. That's proof that David was very capable just a few days before when he was a shepherd boy in the 16th chapter. But just because he wasn't in Saul's army means he wasn't 20 years old. And that was what I call draft age in Israel. Do I have any time, Mike? Six. Six minutes. I could have taken more time on this. Let me read on down to the end of that. That. Uh, that eighteenth. No, the seventeenth chapter, where he kills Goliath. verse let me see here he smote the Philistine in verse 50 he prevailed over him with a sling verse 51 therefore David ran and stood upon the Philistine took his sword out cut his head off now that will definitely kill you and the men of Israel and Judah arose and shouted and pursued the Philistines until Thou come to the valley, to the gates of Ekron. Ekron was one of their big cities in the Gaza Strip, or the land of the Philistines. And the wounded of the Philistines fell down by the way to Sharam, even unto Gath, that's where Goliath was from, Goliath of Gath, unto Ekron, and the children of Israel returned from chasing after the Philistines. They spoiled their tents, and David took the head of the Philistines and brought it to Jerusalem he's got the head of the Philistine Goliath in his hand but put his armor in his tent and when Saul saw David go forth against the Philistine he said unto Abner the captain of the host Abner whose son is this youth he knew who it was it was Jesse's son and Abner said as thy soul liveth, O king, I cannot tell. Abner perhaps didn't know. Saul must have known. And the king said, Inquire thou whose son the stripling is The Stripling was a young a young guy. And as David returned from the slaughter of the Philistines, Abner took him and brought him before Saul with the head of the Philistine in his hand, and Saul said to him, Whose son art thou? thou young man and david answered i am the son of thy servant jesse the bethlehemite then you get into 18 and the women sing that song and in chapter 18 this is very interesting chapter 18 saul sees that david was favored and that the people loved him and he knew he'd been anointed by samuel and yet he still wouldn't let go of the throne so from chapter 18 saul only has a little short time with david before he gets so angry as soon as he's introduced the women are singing this song david has killed his ten thousands and saul is so jealous and so furious you got to realize saul only meets david David sings for him, chapter sixteen. He goes out and kills Goliath in seventeen. He's brought into the court of Saul in seventeen, and he's introduced to to David. So chapter eighteen is the only place where Saul has any good communication with David. From chapter nineteen, chapter nineteen, God puts it in the heart of Saul to begin to pursue David from 19 to the end of the book all the way all the way over here to chapter 31 Saul is pursuing David he says I'm going to kill him he's stealing my throne and it wasn't David's idea it was God's idea that David should be king so from 19 to 31 Saul is after David he's after him he's trying to kill him twice David traps Saul once in a cave and once in a deep rut of some kind, and it's like a little bow in a, out in the, some little valley in a field, and God brings a deep sleep, sleep upon Saul and his army, a deep sleep, and both times in the cave, and when that deep sleep comes on him, both times Abishai, David's nephew, Says Uncle David, "I'll kill this dog. Let me kill him." And David said, "No. He is the Lord's anointed." What's amazing? God had had God had Samuel anoint Saul, and Saul was of the wrong tribe. He was of the tribe of Benjamin, and you had to be of the tribe of Judah. Benjamin was the twelfth son of David Judah was the fourth son and the scepter will not depart from Judah and out of Judah would come the king and David comes out of Judah Saul was out of Benjamin when God appointed him he was of the wrong tribe I could spend more time on this but I'm just about out of time do I have any time left? don't have any? well i'll i'll come back next week we're going to continue to talk about this thing of provoking god we provoke god in life when we're going through our life and god puts obstacles in our way and we say i don't believe god can cause me to win that battle you don't win it according to your definition you don't win it by getting the job you want you don't win it by getting the money you want you win it with death to self and say god will take care of me how he wants to well let's pray and uh, i kind of got off my subject i was going to get back to moses uh, murmuring against god but i'll get back to that next week lord thank you for truth thank you for your word Thank you for everything you do. Cause us to continue to work. Fight our battles for us, Lord. You, you're the only one that can. We've got so many obstacles we need to overcome. I'm just going to sit back and rest in what you're doing. We'll give you praise for everything. We ask all this in Jesus' name, amen. I kind of veered off, but I got that in about David. I really like that.